0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast featuring the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and my goal, once again, is to use each episode to give you ideas and actionable advice that you can use on your journey along the nonprofit path. I think you're in for a treat in terms of a great conversation I had with Will Jones. But before we get to that, let me remind you a couple of items. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite hosting platform if you have not already, and always appreciate your reviews and sharing of this episode with others who might be on a similar nonprofit journey. Don't forget to check out PattonMcDowell.com is our newly revised website Uh, has even more resources than the typical show notes associated with each episode. So check it out, and hopefully you can take advantage of some of the resources that Will and our other podcast guests have delivered in each episode. Now, Will is a real student of leadership and organizational development, and I was excited to talk to him about his nonprofit and for-profit experience That has led to his uh, leadership of a fantastic organization called Thompson, which provides critical clinical and prevention services for at-risk children and families across the Carolinas. Now, Will and I dive into all sorts of leadership tactics and productivity rituals that he employs and the ways he tries to uh, empower his team, as well as identify and retain top talent to join him at Thompson. In addition to some great book and other resource recommendations, Will also has some real thought-provoking ideas about how we can better collaborate in the nonprofit sector as leaders and as aspiring leaders, uh, as well as be more effective and, dare I say it, profitable in achieving our nonprofit mission. Yes, I did say profitable, and I think it's okay and Will will help elaborate on that concept. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Will Jones. Will, thank you for joining me on the
1: path. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm excited to to chat with you today, Will. You've had a great career journey and certainly the kind of uh, path that we like to feature on this podcast, because you've had experiences with different organizations, um, different Types of roles, both in, in for profit and non profit. So, why don't we start with that? Tell me about kind of the highlights of your journey and uh, how did you first get into this non profit world?
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> seems like such a long time ago now, but <laughs> not too long ago, about 25 years ago. Um, you know, somewhere down the line, um, I really realized that I wanted to be in an industry that helped people. Yeah. And in doing so, um, my first job in, in my industry, which generally is social services, human services, um, was with um, a county government in Florida, uh, Orange County in Orlando, and um, worked there for about eight and a half years in different different facets and jobs and learned a lot in a very short period of time. And But there was a point in time, about eight and a half years in, I, I really started to question um, quite frankly, that the amount of red tape that is, occurs sometimes in government. And, you know, right. I kind of, act, an action-oriented um, person, an actual, action-oriented leader, and I just began to get frustrated, and I had a great opportunity. Um actually came out of left field to be the chief operating officer of the local not-for-profit in the beach community where I grew up. Um, it was about 45 minutes east of Orlando. Um, took the interview and still was unsure of, you know, diving into um, private um, non-for-profit work um, versus working in the public sector. Right. You know, and at that point in time, eight and a half years in, you start weighing a lot of different things like, you know, I'm already vested in 12 years. I can draw down full retirement 20 years into the government. um, And there's this complete unknown um, uncharted waters, if you will, for me as somebody that, went straight from college into public sector work. And you know, so you know, the, the fear of change was a big part of that dynamic, but at the end of it all, um, I did make that decision to um, jump out of government work and into private not-for-profit work. You know, coming from human services, if you start in government, you have an opportunity to go into both private, um, not-for-profit and also private for-profit work in human services. Most of the work outside of government is actually not-for-profit. and So I, right. I just I took a flyer and, and a little bit of a risk, and um, I really felt like I was running, and I've told a story before, I, I was running away from government red tape and bureaucracy, <laughs> and then I realized really fast that I did not run far, because 80 to 90% of our funding in the human service was not-for-profit space comes from government. So a lot of the red tape gets attached to the funding. You couldn't um, escape that,
0: that being said. <laughs> you could not escape it, could you, in some ways?
1: Yeah. I say I ran fast, but I did not run far.
0: <laughs> exactly. But but a thread to help people clearly has been a theme throughout your
1: career. I'm sure you would agree. Absolutely. Um, you know, in our work, you know, not-for-profit sectors, there's a lot of different things in not for profit. So not every not-for-profit is, is alike. Uh, my, my industry within the not-for-profit sector is human services, and you know we're here to help. And in doing so, um, what we see is we deal with individuals in communities that have been highly traumatized over the course of their life. And in most cases, we also see that in, in, our, in our workforce. So most of the people in this industry have dealt with their own form of trauma or, or past And many of us in the industry have actually built resiliency around it and understand how the appropriate natural supports, the appropriate services, the appropriate individuals that enter into your life can really strengthen you and helping you overcome that. So that's why we see specifically at Thompson, where I am now, probably about 85% of our staff actually have four more adverse childhood experiences, if if you know the ACEs score. Um, So we're kind of, we're drawn into the work based on our past and what we've been able to overcome.
0: Right. That's a great point. And, and mm-hmm. I guess people join the nonprofit path for many different reasons, but you make the good point that uh, folks in your sector often are touched by the causes you're trying to help.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We see that over and over again, even with, um, even with board members and people, even donors, volunteers, right. the same thing. Right. Well,
0: you you have illustrated I think the sector very well, but why don't you give me the elevator speech? What is Thompson Will the organization you lead now?
1: <laughs> Great. Um, well, Thompson is first and foremost we're the oldest um, non for profit youth service organization in the greater Charlotte area. I'm um, just over a little a little over 133 years of age. Um, but that being said, we um, well we we kind of say now that we're a 133 year old infant. Um, because <laughs> right. what what created the organization and the needs that were around 133 years ago, they're similar, but they're so much different. Um, so we've really had to learn to walk all over again, if you will, um, by doing new and different things to really stand in the gap and meet the needs of, of what's happening in our community in, in 2019, 2020 now. Um, and we do that primarily through, through three main um, service lines, um, early childhood services, family stability and support work, and mental health services. We try to simplify what we do, and there's three legs of a three-legged stool, and underneath the hood of that is 15 to 17 different services. Wow. But at the end of it all, what we're really working hard on with community partners, um, with, with businesses, is to really impact um, – and stop intergenerational poverty in Charlotte.
0: That's a great headline. That being said,
1: we have, a lot of, we have a lot of work to do.
0: In, indeed. And <laughs> you're not alone in the sector trying to address some of those yeah. tough issues, but it's impressive what you and Thompson are doing and certainly as a model for organizations like yours across the state and across the nation. Um, something else I'm sure you can appreciate is uh, your colleague's you, you do a lot with a little, um, there's always more work to be done. And and I've gotten to know you a bit, Will, that you're not only looking at the near term, but you're looking at long-term, uh, change. How do you stay organized (laughs) back to kind of a feature of this podcast (laughs) is the productivity side. You produce a lot of great, uh, effort and content. How do you do it?
1: Yeah. Um, great question. You know, first and foremost, I'm always learning, um, in and around, um, um, organization, productivity, making the most of my time. Um, but above all things, Pat, and honestly, as I sit back and think about this question is something that I've been um, saying kind of in the pulpit of my work with my team for the last two years um, in our space, um, our most precious um, and valuable asset um, above, uh, above and beyond the people that work when the organization is our time. Right. So as the leader of the organization, um, I'm very protective of my time. Um, And and so I really, so one of the biggest tools I have is is my calendar and making sure that I'm protective of my time and I understand the importance of my time and my role in the organization. And I actually block out time throughout my day, week, month and quarter to strategize, to think, um, to maybe even innovate in different ways, but not necessarily to do. Um, and that really has uh, enabled me to be more productive in my role. Um, and above all other things, you know, and I even share that with our organization. So when new employees come into the organization, we do a new employee orientation. And if I'm if I'm present that day, I'm, and most days I am, I speak in the first 15 to 30 minutes. And one of the biggest things I try to get a new Thompson team member to understand is you may not see me in the next six to nine months. Um, I have an open door, um, I'd love to get on the calendar for a coffee, a one-on-one, and I'm always available to anybody and everybody that works at our organization, but that being said, I, I, I really set the clear expectation that I'm working on the organization, not in the organization. Yeah, well put. So I really kind of set a tone around my time um, and my role and function, and I even give examples of what happens if I work in the organization versus on the organization. So, you know, and obviously from there is my calendar, um, you know, review my my calendar every single evening, uh, review it in the morning again, prioritize accordingly. One of the biggest tools I I picked up about a little over a year and a half ago, I came from Michael Hyatt, was identifying my big three hairy audacious goals for the day.
0: Yeah, big fan um, of his really,
1: too. Yeah, I like yeah, his stuff. Yeah, and really... Well. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I just think that kind of really helps me understand what are the three major things that I want to either accomplish or influence this day and then, and then work around those things. So those are the big rocks, if you will, versus the pebbles that happen in our day. So really uh, Andy Stanley, who actually is a pastor, but a real big on leadership has a great analogy about rocks versus pebbles.
0: Yes. So, you yes. know,
1: and if you put your big rocks in, after you put in all your pebbles, and you can't fit everything into your day. Right. But if you put the big three rocks in, all the pebbles will actually work in the crevices in and around them. So that, that big three is another kind of tool and tactic. Not only do I use, I also require, require and request of, of my direct reports in the organization too now. Well, I love that.
0: And, and it's just uh, it's such an effective illustration of prioritization. And, and it's easy, I think, in any sector, but nonprofit in particular, to just be in a reactionary mode. And your calendar will kill you then, right, if you're not proactive as you have been. And I guess something I want to ask you, Will, is your philosophy of meetings. Do, do, we, do we drown out too much of our calendar in the nonprofit sector with just too many meetings? Has that been kind of your reaction to that?
1: Uh, great question. I I do think we're extremely meeting heavy. Um, you know, again, I don't want to speak to the sector, but in, in my world and history in the sector, extremely meeting heavy. Um, or what I like to say to my team is no meaningless meetings. Yeah. good. So let's not meet to meet. Um, what's the intent of that interaction and that meeting? Um, can we do that in a more efficient and effective way? Can we use technology? You know, email, uh, Microsoft Teams, texting to answer questions. We try not to use meetings as um, a way to inform, um, but really more around tackling and and really doing some debating in and around issues and major decisions we're trying to make. Um, So information generally in our organization will go out via Microsoft Teams, um, email, maybe even text, um, telephone, one-on-ones, but we will not, um, or or I will not in particular, I know we still struggle with this, set up a meeting just to inform. Um, We're there to actually work. We want to leave with takeaways. We want to have an agenda of what we're trying to accomplish before we go into that meeting.
0: It's a great point. And and what is your highest value role during the day, right? It's not just to consume content. It's to... So you, you'll have meetings for strategic conversations and deliberation, but not to sit, simply listen to uh, content delivery.
1: Yeah, we really adopted in our executive leadership team at Thompson, um, Lindsay um five dysfunctions of a team methodology. Yep. And so we, we tried to identify what is, our, what is the biggest pain point in the organization um, that we're facing. And we'll meet and talk and strategize and do tactical work in and around that one biggest pain point. So the last quarter of this past year that just closed out was around hiring and recruiting and retaining top tier talent. That's uh, nice. And We really beat that up um, for three months. You know, in in in, in weekly meetings. We identified, you know, what 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 are our pathways, what kind of tactics were we going to use, Then we come back and begin to evaluate how are some of the things that we implemented working. So we use that really more around problem solving. Right. We do a little bit of updating in that meeting, but it's 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 one minute or less around the table. It's quick, um, quick hits, things that you need the team to know, things that you may need um, support around, but we really try to tackle issues and, and quite frankly, hopefully gets to some debate. So our team, our team meetings and even some of our team communication is also to hold each other accountable. And I also invite the team to hold me accountable as the CEO of the organization as well. Love that. Um, So pushback is welcome. Pushback is welcome. And intention is welcome as long as as it's what we call dynamic, not toxic.
0: Interesting. So it is going to be proactive and positive. But you don't mind healthy debate to strengthen, I guess, the the topic you're discussing.
1: Absolutely. That's where really the – that's where the – what we call dip, deep tissue work happens. Right. And that's where the real fruit comes.
0: Well, I take it then you'll pick another kind of headline topic for the, the, the next quarter. So that kind of Lencioni strategy allows you to kind of pick a a, a quarterly headline.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do that um, very similar to – kind of other problem identification tools where we'll actually go around and you know, every member will jot down two or three things, you know, And we say put your CEO hat on, not from your current role, but what's from your CEO hat, if you're the one person leading the organization, what is the biggest thing impacting the organization?
0: Love not that. the
1: individual, not the team, but the entire right. organization. Um, and it was interesting this last quarter when we talked about, um, you know, top talent and recruiting and retaining and, that that level of work every single person on my executive leadership team had that down as number one wow
0: well good alignment but love the fact that you're encouraging all of them to put on a strategic hat right and not get buried in the tactics of their i guess individual area
1: well and it happens you know as as you know and even in in your interaction your history you know that can happen really fast in the not-for-profit sector Because, and you you made a comment earlier, uh, a lot of, uh, we may have resource, but we don't necessarily have an overabundance of resource. So many of us will wear different hats throughout the day.
0: Exactly right. But you need to make sure you don't get buried in your many hats, right? And it sounds like the exercises you're providing uh, allow for prioritization at a strategic level.
1: Well, not just that, we've had to really train on that um, because, you know, a lot of people will go to their comfort zone, right? So, you know, your first time supervisor was an individual contributor. Say you were a counselor, now you're supervising counselors. Well, your comfort zone really is doing the counseling, doing the work, not overseeing the people that do the work. right? So we have to be very intentional about our terminology, our training, our structure, so leaders really understand that they're leading, not doing. So coaches are coaching not playing.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, I think that is fantastic and something a lot of nonprofit leaders can learn from and those aspiring, which, of course, I think a lot of our listeners, as you know, Will, are on the path aspiring to senior leadership or perhaps considering joining the nonprofit sector. And it's a perfect segue maybe from your quarterly headline, uh, hiring talent. What What are you looking for? What what advice would you offer and perhaps through that lens of hiring talent, what are some maybe the characteristics you look for in hiring uh, talent to your organization?
1: Yeah, um, again, I kind of referenced Lencioni earlier, but he has a a model of looking for humble, humble, hungry, and smart individuals and not smart from an intelligence, but a people smarts perspective. So we've adopted that into our interviewing model, um, and and then we we actually added a fourth. Um, sorry, Linceani, we added a fourth to your <laughs> to your list. That's all right. Um, and that's and that's in around coachability. Um, so what we found is if you're not coachable, you're not going to work well in our current culture. How, how do you so figure that out? coachability.
0: Do, do I, do I, do I, you want to hear evidence from me that I've, I've used coaching in the past or, or what would you say?
1: We will, um, you know, a classic question that we, we can use. Man, you're really asking tough questions, Pat, and I wasn't ready. <laughs> um, one of the questions we use around coachability uh, and, and, and they're never open-ended where a lot of people do competency-based questions and actually lead the person to the answer. Right. I might right. say to you, Pat, and tell me about, a time where you worked for a supervisor you didn't get along gotcha i won't ask what you did about it i'll just leave it hanging there and what will end up happening a candidate may go down one of two pathways where they actually identify that time that experience and what they did to adapt um, become coachable maybe align themselves with their leader and then others will go down this what we call a deep dark pathway of basically beating up their previous leadership. right? Well, and if you do that, you'll be doing the same thing to me when I'm not looking.
0: That's correct. Or maybe when I'm
1: looking at your face. Either way, right. I don't want you in the culture at Thompson. So that's kind of one of the things that we look, look at. And then we, we really also talked about something that we call the three C's, which is something I think me or somebody else on our team drew up on a napkin one day, but it makes sense for us where we're looking at Competency, you know, and, and you know, this hungry, humble, on smart falls into that in our, in our mind. Um, capacity, meaning, can you grow when the organization grows? Sometimes we have outgrown individuals' capacity, and we've seen that even at Thompson, as we've grown um, at, a, at an enormous rate and a real fast pace, that we really have outgrown people in leadership and even outgrown people in executive leadership over time. So do they have the capacity to grow with us and then where are they on the culture fit side, Um, which is an ongoing, big part of my work and the work of the people that work alongside me.
0: I I think that's fantastic. And I will will underscore your point. You're not just hiring for the immediate job description (laughs) that's in play, but you're hiring for potential. It sounds like capacity and I suppose if I if I demonstrate to you that I am a lifelong learner, that I'm responsive to coaching, even if I don't have evidence of you know that that future position you're looking for my potential to achieve that future position, is that fair?
1: Um yeah, um potential's a word, yeah, high potentials, you know, is a phrase that we've used. Um but I also get worried about using the word potential so much in at least in my history. Um, I played basketball in college. And right after college, I started this recruitment business, believe it or not, Pat, and right, I don't know if I right. ever told you the story. And part of that was I was evaluating high school talent for colleges. And I'll never forget a conversation. This was 20 years ago. Now it's, it's, it's interesting what you remember, but I'll never forget, forget something that this big six, nine post player. i um, young, a little, a little bit weak, but he had some skills and I'm sitting there talking to a division one basketball coach. I'm like, come take a look at this kid. He's got so much potential. And he looked at me and he goes, and it's all serious. He goes, Pot- potential can get me fired. Wow. And I said, Whoa. And I, say, <laughs> I said, tell me more about that. And I've told the story probably a hundred, 200 times uh, now. That's great. He he said, unreal. Potential by itself does absolutely nothing for you. Cause if it's unrealized, um, that person, or they don't live up to that potential that you assumed or presumed that they had, they will get you fired as the leader or the coach, and they will also get themselves fired in the process. That's but I, with all that being said, it, it's something that we just got to be cognizant of, but absolutely we're looking for people to have potential that can grow into something bigger and better with the right level of supports. And quite frankly, people that are, are self-motivated to grow. Right. They're not always looking to be fed on their own. They're actually seeking to your point, lifelong learning. You know, we're, we're big proponents at Thompson of leaders or learners. Um, or you could say leaders are readers, but now nobody wants to read; they want to hear everything. Hence the podcasting, right? Um, yeah, but that being said, exactly. as long as they're learning and growing, and, and, they, and they're seeking um, information on how to get better, that becomes so big in, in anything that they do in our organization.
0: Well, you, you've answered my next question. Was and <laughs> obviously, you never know exactly. And your coaching advice there about potential being somewhat uncertain, but. Those, I guess, would be the uh, advice uh, elements you'd offer. Someone that demonstrates uh, an interest in lifelong learning. I I guess, what what are you looking for for someone who is trying to advance? You know, they've established themselves. uh, Many uh, of our listeners, you know, are in that kind of middle management space, I guess, Will. So is there anything you would point to that separates the middle management from senior leadership?
1: Yeah. You know, um, I'm going to, I'll throw out a quote. I I actually sent out to my team the other day I saw this and it made so much sense. This is one thing anyway, leadership is a journey and not a destination. Yep. Which means you are either improving your leadership skills or they are getting worse. Interesting. So one thing to your point, be always be learning in some way, shape or form, sharpen your saw, as Covey said, um, or looking to sharpen your saw um, and use everything in or in, in your own space and around you to do that. So, you know, what are you doing to self-develop is it just as important to me as in what are we doing to develop you? And I think it has to be a half and half mix. Um, on the other side, there's just some little key things that that, that I believe in that others may not, but you know, negotiate your salary for the next five years and, and accept that before you start. Interesting. Um, yeah, what do you mean? It's a sign. Well, don't negotiate your salary after you've accepted the position. Gotcha. You know, well, we've seen young leaders come into the role thirty days, that renegotiating their salary, and now I'm thinking that's a little bit of a credibility issue, right, or an integrity issue because you've negotiated a salary, you've accepted the position on what you've negotiated, and then you come in and maybe you do a little bit of good work, but you really don't have a real body of work, right, um, and then you're re- renegotiating. So that's generally a red flag when those things are happening for us organizationally. So we just tell people up front, you know, even when we're making job offers, is this what you're willing to be able to do for the next three to five years? Right. So negotiate accordingly. Um, Given the space that we're in, um, you know, there is some ability to do different things, but generally speaking, your income is not going to grow unless you change positions or to take more responsibilities. Um, in general, there's all other mechanisms to do that. So we look for that. We look for people that are always willing to stand in the gap. Right. Meaning, if we have a special project that they're the first in line to volunteer for that, um, you know, one of the, another red flag that we have is when we offer somebody an opportunity to take on a different project or role that will help the organization and could be a development opportunity for them is that they go right into negotiations rather than, absolutely, I would love to do that. that that'll, that'll, I will learn so much from that opportunity, that's so rich. They'll go right into salary negotiations, and what I've really done is try to test them a little bit.
0: So in other words, if I say, well, Will, I'll do it, but I, I, I wanna be paid more, <laughs> uh, I'm leading with the wrong intent then, right? Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah you've lost me, you've yep. lost me. Um, you know, we we tend to believe we take care of our people um, we will take care of you on the front end and we'll take care of you on the back end, but you will be take care of. Um, but some of this is just about doing more. Um, I've done this for 25 years now. I was actually counting this today. I was like, how long have I've been doing this? 25 years. And, and, and I don't think I, I don't think there's a time where I've actually went to somebody and asked for a salary increase. What I've tried to do is just be of service. If I can help, I'll help. If I can do more, I'm going to do more. And that's really what I'd love for people in the industry and people in our organization specifically to do. Just do more, do more, and do more again. Performance leads to
0: ultimately <laughs> compensation, doesn't it? In organizations <clears throat> like yours, sounds like. And, um, but I believe so. It, in, in your journey, I guess at some point you reach uh, that uh, juncture when you need to go to a different organization to get the experience to move up the ladder. Um, is, is that something you've kind of acknowledged or have there been lessons learned where you just realized, hey, I had a good experience, but if I'm going to get leadership experience, perhaps I need to go somewhere else?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I know it's a question, but it's also great advice. Um, and that sometimes is also includes leaving your current community and being open to understand there's a big world out there, there's a lot of new and exciting things happening. And if you are mobile and you can relocate to get yourself into new opportunities that will one, help you grow personally and professionally, and then two, help you grow in your career, you'll be better served to do that. I think somewhere down the line in the not-for-profit space, people get really comfortable really quick.
0: Right.
1: and I, I tend to believe, and I can say that because I've been in this world for a long time, I tend to believe it's because where there's little accountability, there's a lot of comfort. And where there's a lot of comfort, you, you actually know what's going to happen. Every day, every week, every month, every year becomes predictable. Um, and, and I can say in our organization, and I've also been blessed um, to work for organizations in this way, is that no day is predictable, no week's predictable, no month is predictable, and accountability um, will shine a light on somebody that really doesn't want to do really good quality work to impact community.
0: That's, that's a very good point. And it sounds like, and you have done it, it's not easy to move yourself and your family, but I'm sure you've benefited from the different markets in which you've worked, right? And the different organizations, and you likely could have stayed, you know, right there in Florida from the get-go if you so desired.
1: Oh, absolutely. But, you know, um, to your point, uh, one is I don't think I would have progressed. Maybe I would have been a CEO of a non-profit. I wouldn't have progressed in my career pathway the way I have. Um, I wouldn't have a national network in my industry um, that I have. Um, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to see and learn um, about new things, new approaches on what works or what doesn't, um, meet new people, build relationships
0: the way I have.
1: Um, but I, absolutely. I, I feel like, you know, I think a lot of times there's leaders in the not-for-profit sector, maybe quite frankly, any sector, this fear of change is, is, is what's holding a lot of people back. Yep. You know, and I have it too. And I've had it throughout my career. When I, when, when you asked me what brought me to not-for-profit work, well, that was a fearful decision to make. You know, I was eight and a half years in the government. I could have literally been fully retired <laughs> um, you know, right. by my, by my 40th birthday, um, you know, and, and then went out and worked for another 20 some odd years in the private sector. Um, but every move has been, you know, angst, anxiety driven. Um, but one of the things I really tried to do, one is, and here's another piece of advice because yeah, we see this all the time and I just don't get it. Don't ever quit a job without another one. Yep. And, and quite frankly, I don't believe that you should ever take a step back to, to move forward. And a lot of people say it's okay to take a step back to move forward. I don't believe that. I think you need to look at opportunities that are going to move you forward. Now, some of it may be lateral and then forward. Yeah. But, I, you know, I was talking to one of our leaders the other day. I was like, you know, I, I took a pay cut to be here. I was like, oh, why? That's awkward. You know, like, tell me more about what that means. Because um, then they use that to leverage, leverage me to react in a way that I'm not going to react in.
0: Right, right. So lateral at at worst is what you're saying, if not stretching yourself to move ahead.
1: This this is what i tell you, Pat, and this will be on my advice to my five kids.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, let me ask you about, Will, you've, again, among your many good experiences, of course, have been in the for-profit sector. Mm -hmm. I guess um, that would be the case, and I'm seeing, as I'm sure you are – more folks that I would describe as a lateral entry candidate to nonprofit. So what would you say to someone who is in the for-profit sector that's thinking about nonprofit? I mean, can that work?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, these are the people that will help change the sector over time. If you come from the for-profit sector and then you enter our sector, that's fresh perspective, new ideas. Um, you have, you you may, hopefully, you will have a good sense of business modeling. Um, understand that 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 actually making a little profit in the not-for-profit sector is not a negative. You <laughs> exactly. know, it, it, those are good things. Um, exactly. That's how we build capacity. That's how we recruit people in um, from. Um, from the for-profit sector um, or bigger non-for-profit organizations that run similar to a for-profit and how they approach work, but I, I actually do. I think generally it's, it's it's a question of the heart, of Patton to be honest with you, I, when I've and we've we have some in our team and have worked with some in, in the past, um, it generally is is what's drawing you to it. And I think a lot of if what's drawing you to it is I want to be comfortable. Um, I you know it's easier. Um, you know, whatever you think or you assume is the case, um, please do not come to an, into my world. Um, now, right. if you want to impact community, um, if you want to impact something in the community, something in, in you know, in, in anything that's happening, and not-for-profits are standing in the gap doing that work, and you can bring your tools, your skill set, your history, your experience to that. I, I, I we are going to welcome you with open arms but it's got to be for the right reasoning. Um, I think people that want to come and because, you know, Hey, I'm a, you know, this is my second time around. I've already retired once. And, you know, I prefer you not apply at my organization. I'm just gotta be frank about that. Yeah. Good. But if you have an intent to help and feel like a nonprofit um, that's doing work where you have passion, Passion is something we almost can't coach for, right? We can't train, and that's something we can hire for. We love that. We love the passionate person that comes with a business mind. I think that will only help us um, improve um, in the work we do as an organization and and in our community. Um, And then I also would also just, and we've done this, don't assume because it's not for profit that we don't value quality and that quality doesn't exist here. I think a lot of people assume you know, quite frankly, I remember one point in time, someone says, "If you ever decide to leave the not-for-profit community, what are you going to do?" I was like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> like, like, you know, for you know, for profits, man, they they scoff at not-for-profit experience. I'm like, "That's why would that be?" Yeah, I mean, they know,
0: don't appreciate. It, lead, do they? You know,
1: well, this year I'm leading, you know, what, what will be hopefully twenty to twenty-five million dollar annual revenue generating business. Right. <laughs> That's doing really great mission work. Um, but that being said, I'd like to believe that some of that's transferable.
0: I could, you know, it absolutely so is kind of
1: interesting. <laughs> it's interesting how people assume they just have these assumptions of of our sector, um, but also on the opposite, you know, we've had it's like, you know, I know that you can't pay me this. I'm like, why would you assume that I can't? Right? Why would you assume that I'm going to undervalue who you are because we're a not for profit? And and I think that happens in times. Maybe we're not going to be competitive with a with with a bank, major worldwide bank, but that doesn't mean we're not going to be somewhat competitive to the market. I could not um, agree it, more. It's, it's interesting. Right, I almost just, get a little. Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: No, no, I, I'm just I'm excited by the line of conversation because I could not agree more that if if you're a lateral entry and you think you can quote retire into nonprofit, you are mistaken. This is hard work. It's important work. You've got a passion that you noted, Will. And I think you're such a good champion. I follow your social media about nonprofits are businesses. And if if you're thinking it purely as a kind of charitable feel good, um, that's not just the case. Uh, Maybe you could elaborate further on some of your recent comments about it's okay for there to be some profit.
1: Yeah. Um you know, I've been I i not say blessed and blessed and or cursed, but I but I've had an opportunity to work in several what would be considered to be one percent non for profits, you know, over a hundred million dollars in annual revenue, doing a lot of good good quality work. And all of them have have had the same principle. No margin, no mission and meaning you have to create a little bit of buffer, a little bit of money to put somewhere for you to continue, not only to sustain, but grow your mission. I get concerned that not-for-profits are are, are fighting for sustainability, Patton. Right. And I believe not-for-profits should be fighting for growth, scale, increase impact, Um, but not sustainability. If I'm a $1 million not-for-profit, I should not be content that I'm a million dollars in 10 years. That's sustainability. Well put. Um, and I think in order in order for you to, to do that, you have to understand that you have to invest into that. And that's where I always believe, you know, the no margin, no mission is a great quote that we use and we've heard that for a long time now, but that, you know, what I say is, yes, for tax purposes, we are a not-for-profit. The way we run it is a mission-based for-profit organization. Now, that's not saying we're profitable. We're not right. profitable yet. Um, right. I, I believe we can be over time, but we're not there yet. Um, but, but it also means that we're not okay with losing money. Oh, you know, right. it's, not, it's not completely um, satisfactory to lose money.
0: I uh, am writing that down. It will be featured among the many great nuggets of advice in the show notes associated with this episode. No margin, no mission. And and you're right. Um, too many of our nonprofit friends are in survival mode, I think, Will. And while I, I'm, I'm grateful for their effort, the people they serve need them to be more than just surviving, right? If we're going to really make a difference in our communities.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's just, um, and it's it, it's obviously the community where we live, and both of us do a substantial amount of work, and not all of our work. I know you do work in other areas. We do work in some other areas, but Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, is a classic example of what a great, and wonderful community um, for many of us, but also not not so much a great, and wonderful community for for so many of us. And what I mean by that is, um, there's still a lot of need, and it's unmet, and it. It unfortunately or fortunately, the non for profit sector has to stand in the gap and work closely with corporate America, which we do. And we're blessed in Charlotte to have that, um, as well as the government. Um, right. We're blessed to have really great government partners um, in this community and others. But that being said, there's more to be done. Um, you know, and I, you may or may not have known this, but you know, we're at about 180% growth rate in three years. Wow. And almost everything we do—headcount, revenue, services—the number of people we're impacting—in—in—and I said this not too long ago—it's like—and we really haven't been focusing on a growth strategy. Most of it's completely and utterly an organic, opportunistic. Um, we stand in the gap if we feel like we can. Uh, we partner in different ways. Um, I can only imagine if if we really had intentionality around business development cuz we don't have a business development department at Thompson as it stands today and i've been part of organizations that do actually have a focused business development team we don't have that we're just trying to meet needs
0: but organically you're still growing even if you're not pushing it from a business development perspective clearly you're doing some great things and i'm among other things will lift up folks you all should check out Thompson uh, their website will be in the show notes, and it's a great organization, a model, frankly, will, and I know you're you're building on the work of, of you know, decades before, but the community need is there, and I, again, lots of great topics. I want to be sensitive to your time, but one topic I, I definitely want to ask you about in your senior leadership role, and a lot of executive directors ask me, and it's it's the interaction with your board. And you have a a fantastic board at Thompson, but I wonder if you might speak to just, you know, the relationship with the board as a nonprofit CEO, are there some, some highlights or, or advice or things you might offer a fellow executive director? Um, you
1: know, I am extremely blessed to have a very supportive, um, knowledgeable and advocating board at Thompson, um, you know, first and foremost, so along that pathway for me is, is, and I'm hoping some of them feel the same, it's not only this relationship between the CEO, of the organization, and the board member, but hopefully um, friendships and relationships um, over time that will last way beyond their their tenure um, on the board or even my tenure as the leader at Thompson. Right. Um, you know, and, and I see that occurring, not necessarily with every single board member, but there's a healthy respect um first from myself and my team to our board and i also we also believe that we see that from our board back to us so and and when i say that is um i think we've earned some trust um based on performance based on communication based on interaction and i think that's critical um you know a lot of um i'll I'll, I'll kind of get away from thompson and just kind of some of the things i've seen you know you know, and then here's another thing I just want to want to share with anybody who's kind of new to the role or thinking about going into this role or other leadership roles. Bad news doesn't get better with time. Um, I say that about twice a week. Good advice. Thompson. Yep. But I will tell you as, as as somebody that reports to and works at the will of a board, um, bad news does not get better with time. Yep. Um, inform them so they can assist you, support you, give you advice, give you discernment um if nothing else so they're not blindsided um many all of our board members are community advocates in the community um in other organizations um very visible people know who they are they know people last thing i always would ever want is that a board member get blindsided in a community conversation or interaction um so that that'd be a quick piece of advice but that's
0: good on the very other good. side of
1: it on the other side of this, uh, a couple of things that I think has helped me um, at least coming into the role almost three years now, um, in about, I don't know, 50, 60 days, stopped counting a while back, but I was really transparent. I lifted the hood on my heart and my thought process about not-for-profit leadership and the role of the CEO and the operations leadership versus the role of the board. So I, what I what I mean by that? Patent is that I was very upfront with who I was as a leader and how I thought would 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 be the best way for me to lead Thompson further with the board before they hired me. So I really wanted them to know who I was.
0: Nice. Um,
1: before they made a decision if I was the right person. And I also asked a lot of questions, which was really great too, is it was kind of like a um, a due diligence process and a merger and acquisition. Yeah. It's it took a two way street. Yeah. Absolutely, I was interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me, um, and in trying to understand their mindset. Because last thing I wanted to do for the mission of the organization, for myself, and my family, and for them, would be to say say something that didn't portray who I was and how my leadership was going to be impacting the organization. In sixty days, they'd be like, Whoa, this is a buzzsaw. This is not what you said."
0: Right. Um, so very right.
1: upfront and somewhat in a bold manner. Um, not abrasive but bold you know like this is what I'm thinking or this is kind of my expectation in this role if, if you choose to to offer it to me um, you put it on so the table early though, I, absolutely right? absolutely yeah. I wanted to, I wanted them to vet me out or vet me in but based on who I was and how I was going to approach the work and you know I could have easily have been vetted out right but I would have been more I would I would me personally, because I have family and other other obligations and, and quite frankly I was in a great opportunity um with a for profit here in the, in the in the state that does work worldwide but you know if i'm going to make that move, I want them to know who they're who they're getting um for the short and long term, and I also wanted wanted myself to know that they're comfortable with some of my thoughts and philosophies about how to impact community um, so I was blessing that that would be a, a kind of a negative advice. And in doing so, you may get vetted out of opportunities. But be who you are, um, share who you are, share what your intent is, share what your perspective on leadership is, and and then from there, quite frankly, we just had to get some really quick wins, and hopefully the board has seen. I I try not to I use this always with the board. I don't want to overpromise and, and underdeliver. Right. Um, I think. I think for the most part we've done that. I'm sure there's been a time or two where we've we've under delivered under delivered a little bit on something we made me a promise, but generally we're batting um, a good percentage. So you don't want to set yourself up for failure by making a lot of promises. And they, you know, just like an employee to our supervisor, so you're realistic about what you can do. And, and what we've been able to do is what we were able to do in my first year was probably what I outlined in my interview. We were going to do in the first three to five. So like, you know, just again, not over-promising, like the delivering the living, but sure. really, okay, just, yeah, just doing the work.
0: Well, that's, it's fantastic I don't advice. know if I helped with that question. Oh, <laughs> uh, you answered it and, and then some, and, and I guess the authenticity you presented is in and of itself good advice because if, if, if I'm, you know, holding back or somewhat artificial in my interview uh it's only going to come back to haunt me right a year later or whatever and that leads of course to a whole nother conversation you and i can have about turnover in the sector um if we are not uh above board in that early interview discussion then we're just you know on a path for disappointment for both sides
1: well and i i I also think that also goes back to your you're questioning about the coming over from for-profit industry into the sector. Um, Unfortunately, just the talent pool at a very high level of leadership is is, in my mind, it's very shallow um, in in the sector and it needs to, it needs to get deeper. It needs to get wider. It needs to have more competency, more capacity.
0: Well put. And that is going to plague the sector. Until we have kind of the people like you, and and frankly the leadership you're bringing to those that work with you, because you are, uh, I think, intentional about growing leaders, which is only going to help your organization and/or other organizations as folks you know move move on or move around, if if that becomes the case. Will, it's fantastic. I've got a half dozen books on my notes already, but is there? One more, you would add anything particularly compelling in your professional development reading that you would want to recommend to others,
1: yeah, first and foremost, when I looked at your notes, um never eat alone, never eat alone is a classic um, <laughs> right. I, I recommend that to every everybody everybody who's in leadership in our organization or people that I mentor to understand the importance of network and relationship building, so it was kind of cool to see that on there, not that many people at least in my travels, knew about that book. I read it in my early 30s. And, and in my mind, that should be a required coursework in college. Quite Love frankly. it. Couldn't agree more. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of books. You know, I mentioned Linceone a few times during the um, during the interview, Pat, and anything um, that Linceone puts out is definitely worth it. Um, but, you know, two books that really have, you know, I read them a little over a year and a half ago, but they've kind of percolated. Actually, I, re-read, I can reread both in the last probably six months. One is a, is a book called Moves by Patty Azarello. if you've heard of her. Um, that's oh, a great book. And great, yeah. The byline actually is Move, How Decisive Leaders Execute Strategy Despite Obstacles, Setbacks and Stalls. Um, mm-hmm. That should have been pointed directly to the not-for-profit sector in my mind. <laughs> I love that. Um, and, I'm add it
0: to my library. Thank you.
1: You know, and then another kind of biggie that we talk about a lot is, you know, a lot of this is about the transparency that we want ourselves to to have in the organization and to create, um, this culture where anybody, any Thompson team member can question anything except our mission. And that's a radical candor by Kim Scott. Nice. Radical candor. Those are probably been two of the, yeah, two of the bigger resources outside of kind of, you know, blogs and podcasts I've been chewing on a little bit, um, that have really kind of uh, been moved up to the front of list. Leadership by Maxwell is another book that we did as a leadership team. Right. A lot of great takeaways there. Was, and again, as I think, as we've talked about, you know, the ability to shift and pivot and be nimble um, as an organization in our sector, but also as a leader in our sector is bit key.
0: Will, wonderful! You've given an, uh, us enough to read to put us all the way into the summertime, I think. <laughs> if we can keep <laughs> up, with, you are a prolific reader, and I love that. As a big fan of the learning journey, so thank you for joining me on the path today. And I, I guess Will, we'll, we'll link to your Thompson website. Anywhere else you would want people to to check out the work you're doing? Uh, maybe social media channels, perhaps.
1: Yeah. You know, we have social media, um, like many other not-for-profits, um, we're not, um, that we need to be there, but you know, as I was looking at your kind of preliminary agenda, I, I would invite you, if you're interested in our work, reach out to me. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, and you know, Jones at thompsoncff.org, the email, um, is a great way, um, to, to begin a discussion, have a coffee, um and you know i've talked um as i do the same as reach out to people all over the country to learn and pick brains um i think one of the things that organ- leaders like myself and others can and should do is give back through some mentorship guidance of people that are thinking about coming into the space as you said earlier or people that just started in the space so we've done um definitely have um, incubated or or shepherded a few new not-for-profit leaders in the community. Um, Again, if if any not-for-profit doesn't work well, people suffer. Um, So it's just, it's really part of our mission, part of my mission to do what I can to assist.
0: Well, very generous offer. I'll make that note as well and and, uh, continued good luck with the great work you're doing and the work that Thompson's doing. And thanks again for joining me on the path. Thank you, Pat, and your blessing. Take care. Well, if you're like me, you took a number of notes, perhaps mentally, if you are driving or walking or running along. But uh, be assured, all of the resources, will references are in our show notes and on the expanded blog post on the PattonMcDowell.com website. So, Please check it out and take advantage of the information provided. And as always, uh, share this episode with someone else who might benefit from this conversation and the ideas that it might inspire. Uh, If you'd like to subscribe, please do so on your favorite podcast platform. And always, thanks for listening. I appreciate you being part of these conversations, and we're eager to share the content of this podcast with others in the nonprofit community. Thanks for what you're doing for any nonprofit that you support and causes that are meaningful to you. I will look forward to seeing you next time on The Path.